Good morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we thank you for what you did, Lord, for the fact that you died on the cross for us and rose again. We do celebrate that. Help, help us keep our minds focused on that as we go throughout our life, that you've paid the ultimate penalty for us so that we can be with you when we die. And help us remember that. Lord, the things here on earth are temporary, but with you, it's eternal. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Pray that you speak through me now. Pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. And that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. Lord, in a mighty way this morning, we thank you for what happened with these encounters from the resurrection. Thank you for what they can teach us about who you are and what you've done for us. Be with us in our time ahead, and I ask this all in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to, uh, to be here. We are in our last series, as you see, 24 Hours That Changed the World, where we've been looking at uh, different encounters from uh, the time of Christ, leading up to his death and resurrection. And uh, as Pastor Jamie alluded to, last week was really an amazing week, Holy Week, here at Christ Church. Many lives were changed. And it's powerful because they recognized what the resurrection is all about. And we, we spend one more service here before we turn our attention to a new series next week, looking at the resurrection. We do that because you have to understand the resurrection is the core to Christianity. We said that last week. That the resurrection is the core to Christianity. No other belief system believes in the resurrection. It's the core. There's other belief systems that believe uh, in who Jesus, that he was a man, but no other religious system besides Christianity, no other belief system believes that he died and rose again. The Jewish community, you know, they were there. They, they knew who Jesus was, but they don't believe that he was the Messiah, and so they put him on the cross. Even the, uh, even the Islamic community, 600 years later, when that got started, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. They even believe that he was born of a virgin, but they do not believe that he died or rose again. There's a lot of belief systems that believe and know who Jesus was, but do not believe in the resurrection. So we spend one more week here talking about the resurrection encounters because it would do us no justice if we just said, what a wonderful resurrection Easter that was, and then all of a sudden we just turn our attention to something else. It's important that we grasp it, that we believe it, and we respond to it. You know, I love what it said in that last uh, verse that Pastor Jamie read. If you have your Bibles, or in John chapter 20 or in your service sheets. That last verse, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. We have not seen, but we believe. Faith like a child. You know, children have this wonderful uh, capacity to believe things. We, as we get older, have a little bit more difficulty time believing things. My children uh, have an <laughs> easy time believing things. My daughter who is uh, seven years old, interestingly enough, uh, a few weeks ago, I came home, and uh, I came home, and in the, our family room, there was this elaborate set uh, with had boxes and sticks and ropes and signs and all over the place. And I thought, what is going on here? Couldn't even walk into the room. And this is how the conversation went with my daughter, Langdon, who is seven years old. I said, uh, what do you got going on here? Well... Dad, it's a leprechaun trap. I said, what? It's a leprechaun trap. It was St. Patrick's Day. It's a leprechaun trap. What, what, what happens with a leprechaun trap? Well, they go in. I put fake coins in there. They go in, and the box comes over them, and we trap the leprechauns. 
What are you going to do with the leprechaun once you trap it? Well, the leprechaun disappears, but they leave something, uh, leave something behind. They do. What do they leave? Well, they either leave two things, candy or a map that leads to the pot of gold. That's terrific. Which one would you rather? The map that leads to the pot of gold. I'm glad you have your standards set high, I told her. <laughs> Who told you this, Langdon? My friend Maya. Oh, she did. What else did Maya say? Well, Maya said that leprechauns come from Australia. They do. Why Australia? I don't know. She didn't say. <laughs> what are they doing over here? Well, they fly over here to help the fairies. They do. What are they doing for the fairies? Making their shoes. Why do fairies need shoes if they fly? Well, I don't know, but they come over here and we need to trap them and catch them so they can leave us stuff. And I got right to the point as a parent. I said, that's not true. No. And she... He was a little stubborn and said, no, it is true. That's what my friend Maya said. I said, it's absolutely not true. It's not true. None of that's true. Do not believe it. No, it's true. That's what my friend Maya said. It's not true. That's not, that's not right. Well, that's what my, my friend Maya said. We'll find a new friend. That's what I said. <laughs> they believed these things without seeing it. It was so passionate. Never saw a leprechaun. Never saw a fairy. But it's power, they believe it. We as adults have a hard time believing something when we don't see it. And what's amazing about the resurrection is that we have encounters in the Bible of Jesus coming and seeing people after his death. And we have them listed here. We have Mary. We have the disciples. And then we have Thomas. And not only do we have that, but we understand that he appeared to more than 500 other people. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ would die for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he would be buried, that he would be raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Caiaphas, who was Peter. And then to the twelve. And after that, he would appear to more than 500 others, brothers and sisters, at the same time. So we have the record. He's there. We have the record that he came and was present with these people. That's what's powerful. So it gives us more encouragement, more hope, as we believe. We weren't there, but we believe. You know, it was Philip Yancey. I read a book. He wrote a book called Jesus I Never Knew. He said, we read the Gospels from the other side of Easter. We have the day printed on our calendars. But we forget how hard it was for the disciples to believe. Convincing them would require intimate, personal encounters with the one who had been their master for three years. And over the next six weeks, Jesus did just that. The appearances are not spectral, but flesh and blood. He was there. He was there. So we have these encounters, and we're going to look at them. And they all have powerful significance to us. Powerful significance to us. The first one we see is the encounter with Mary. The encounter with Mary. As we read there, you see in verse 11, Mary was at the tomb. She's weeping. She's sorrowful. Why? Because Christ has died. He wasn't in the tomb. So she's weeping. And Jesus comes, and what does he say to her? Mary. It's powerful. Calls her by name. He calls her by name. Last week, there were some people, many people in our services, whether Good Friday or Monday, Thursday or Easter, who came to know Christ. They had a intimate relationship with him. Why? Because he showed up. And guess what? He's here today as well. He's here with us. And he looks each one of us in the face and knows us by name. Mary, John, Christine, Robert. He knows us by name. He knows everything about you. He's coming after you. That's why the John 10 is such a powerful verse. I am the good shepherd. 
he says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I'm the good shepherd. I'm glad he says good shepherd as opposed to a shepherd. Because if there's a good shepherd, there must be a bad shepherd out there. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because he knows each one of us and goes after us, pursues us. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock, one shepherd. Man, that's powerful. Jesus knows us, knows us by name. He knows what you're going through. As many people are going through a lot of stuff in life right now, whether it's sorrow or pain or anguish, all kinds of things going on. And he shows up to you this morning, looks you straight in the eyes, and calls you by name. The question is, how do you respond? Mary responded, she calls him Rabbi, which means teacher, Lord, teacher, I'm going to follow you. Why? Because he knows you. He already laid down his life for you. He pursues us. He loves us that much. So the question is for you this morning, is that you? Is that you this morning? Maybe you've never had a chance to put your, give your life over to the Lord. This morning, he looks at you straight in the face and calls you by name. How do you respond? How do you respond to that? It's as simple as saying, Lord, I understand that you died for me, for my sins, because the stuff that I do doesn't get me into heaven, doesn't allow me to have a relationship with you, because you're so holy and I'm not. But you died for me. You laid down your life for me, so I want to make you the Lord of my life. Forgive me. Come into my life. It's as simple as that. Is he calling you by name this morning? Then we have the encounter with the disciples. Now, you see in your service sheets, we kind of skipped around there a little bit in our verses. We went from 11 to 16 and then 26 beyond. We didn't put the encounter with the disciples in there. Oftentimes it's because of space. Uh, but what happens with the disciples' encounter right before Thomas is huge. It's huge. It's very powerful and it teaches us. So here's the encounter with the disciples. It says in verse John, John 20, verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, it's right after the passage, right in between the passage we just read. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So there the disciples are. They're, 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 they lock the door out of fear. If you remember last week, the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb went back and told the religious leaders. And the religious leaders said, listen, we're going to give you some money that if anybody asks you, you tell them that, that the body was stolen by the disciples. So the disciples were, were huddled together. In fear. Fear of what was going to happen to them. And Jesus comes and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. That was a standard greeting of the day. Shalom, peace. People still say that, peace. But I understand Jesus said it twice. And when any time something is said twice, it makes you go, I wonder if that has significance. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says it twice. Remember at the Last Supper... <laughs> Last Supper, before he died, he says, peace, I leave you. Now he's saying, peace be with you. Peace, I leave you, peace be with you. There was no peace between God and man before Christ died. And so then Christ died, I'm leaving you peace, he died. Now he can come back and say, peace be with you. Not peace, I'm leaving you, but peace is already there. Peace be with you. Here at Christ Church... If you ever go over to the sanctuary, or sometimes we'll do it here, it's a tradition that we pass the peace. And somebody said, well, who made that up? Jesus did. 
<clears throat> we did not make that up. For centuries, Christians have been doing this. We pass the peace. Why do we do that? When we say, peace be with you, and they say, also with you. Now pass the peace to other people. What does that mean? So when we extend our hand to one another and pass the peace, it's identifying with Jesus who extended his life for us to give us peace. That's why we pass the peace to one another. We also do it to practice what God calls to keep effort between the bond of unity, to unify us. It says in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Through the bond of peace, what Christ did, we can have unity. That's from Ephesians 4. Next week, we're going to be turning our attention to a new series. We're going to be talking about family. And we're going to be talking about harmony in the home and the heart and the house of God. Why? Because once we realize what Christ has done for us, then we can translate it into our own family and have peace there. So, so they're fearful he comes and says, peace. And then what does he say? He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then when he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. So picture this. They're, in their, they're, they're gathered together. They're in fear. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go next. They're not sure what the next steps are. And Christ comes and he gives them peace. He gives them purpose. And he gives them power all in once. He says, peace be with you. Don't fear. I'm here. And then he says, listen, here's your purpose. Christ, God sent me. Now I'm going to send you. Go out and preach the good news to others around you. And not only that, he received the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you power to do it. It's not on your own accord. It's what I give you. So you're fearful. You're worried. You're not sure where to go. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you power. There's many of us in here this morning that are wondering, I don't know what to do with my life. I just am stuck. I've got huge decisions to make. I've got family issues going on. I've got all kinds of things going on. And Christ comes to you. He gives you peace. He gives you purpose. He says, you know what? Don't worry about that. Here's your purpose in life. I'm going to give, give you gifts to go out and spread the good news. That's your purpose. And I'm going to give you the power to do it. I met with a, um, somebody some time ago who had a really tough decision to make. Really tough. And I said, listen, before you make this decision, you need to take time and pray about it. Because it's almost like there was, there was no right or wrong way to, to decide this. It was just a dilemma they were in. I said, you need time to pray about this. You need God's direction because I can't give it to you. Ask God to give you direction. We met then about 30 days later. I said, what happened? Well, these are the events that happened. I said, you know, God is telling you something. How do you feel? Well, I have a piece about the decision I'm making. So let's go ahead and make that. That's the direction you want to go. And then they started to say, why justify all the reasons that they were trying to make this decision? Well, well, because of this, or I feel like this, da, da, da. I said, stop. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what God's telling you to do. If God's calling you to something, do it. He's going to give you the peace. He's going to give you the power to do it. So he comes to Mary in her time of sorrow. He comes to the disciples in the time of fear. Shows up. And you know what? The fear just kind of dissipated, didn't it? For Mary, the sorrow that she was experiencing dissipated, didn't it? The question for you this morning, is that you? Do you have doubts, concerns, fears about what's going on in life? Christ comes to meet you this morning. He says, listen, I'm here. Peace be with you. I've already conquered the grave. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Yeah, it's there, but you don't need to worry about it. I'm here. So that was the encounter with the disciples. Then, then we have the encounter with Thomas. 
Thomas. It says in verse 24, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas, known as Didymus, Didymus means twin. So Thomas was a twin. So there's been a lot of speculation on who Thomas's twin was. They think it was one of the disciples. Uh, the scripture doesn't say. Uh, somebody once said that they think that Thomas's twin was Luke. And I thought, that's interesting. Luke is a Gentile from Greece, wasn't even a disciple. And then there's Thomas, who is Jewish. I'm not sure what happened to his parents, but I'm pretty sure it's not Luke. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter. None, you, what you have to understand is he wasn't there. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails in his hand, and put my finger where his nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. And then eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And the rest of that scripture is there listed in your service sheet. That's where we pick it right back up. So Thomas, 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 we give him a hard time because we, we refer to him as doubting Thomas. I'm not sure that's the correct description of Thomas. I think a better description might be more pessimistic Thomas than doubting Thomas. But nonetheless, Thomas. We, we find Thomas a couple times throughout Scripture before this time. We find Thomas first at the, the, uh, when Lazarus died. And Jesus told the disciples, he said, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And the disciples were like, well, that's where they, they, they were trying to attack you there. And Thomas spoke up and said, let us also go that we may die with him. That's what Thomas says. Let us go that we may die with him. Meaning, I'd rather die with Christ than be separated from him. So he obviously had a passion for Christ. He followed Christ. He knew who Christ was. The next appearance was uh, in the upper room. And Thomas's questions, Thomas's questions give us a powerful verse. You know, there's a lot of things that we don't understand in Scripture and we ask the questions. I remember being in... Uh, I remember being in seminary, and there was always the guy who would always sit in class, and there was always the guy that would ask the question at the end of the class. Like, the professor's done, and he said, well, there, is there any other questions? I remember sitting in, a, in one of my doctoral classes. We were sitting there for 10 hours, and it was like 6 o'clock, and the professor said, now, does anybody have any questions? We're going to meet tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., and some guy raises his hand and said, um, you know, you said something three hours ago that I was really kind of confused off, and I just wanted to take his hand, put it in my book, and slam it shut. I thought, this guy, we're done. I'm sitting there nodding my head even though I have no idea what's going on. This guy asks the question. I was really frustrated. Meanwhile, I didn't really know the answer either. That's what Thomas does. He, he's that guy that asks the question. Hey, listen, I don't exactly know what you're saying. I, we want to encourage you. If there's something that you don't know from the scriptures, come and talk to us. Come and ask us. We may not know the answers, but we can at least point you in the right direction. We also encourage you to get involved in small groups or Bible studies. That's a time where you can take the scriptures and unpack it. We want you to understand what's written here. Because that way, when you go out into the world, you can say, you know what? I believe this. I know it. As opposed to, well, someone told me. Or that's what my parents said. Thomas is that guy that asks the questions. And he asked Christ the most powerful question, and we get the most powerful verse, John 14. Jesus says, and if I go prepare a place for you, he's telling the disciples at the Last Supper, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. And then there's Thomas. Uh, question, Lord. I can see all the disciples going, uh-huh, yep. You know the place where I'm going. Seb's going, uh-huh. Thomas is going, what? Question. Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then we get the verse, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through.
through me. That's Thomas. Why? Because he asked the question. What is Jesus saying to me right here? What is he saying? So Thomas here is doubting. Hey, listen, unless I put my hands in Jesus, my fingers in Jesus' hands and my, 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 hand, my hand in his side, I won't believe it. It's not that I can't believe it, it's I won't believe it. You know, there's a lot of people who say, listen, I won't believe in the resurrection of what Christ did because it's going to change everything about my life. If I have to give my life over to him, then I'm going to be miserable. Then I'm not going to like what the consequences are. Then I'm not going to want to do that. That's why C.S. Lewis says, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how, how painful the best is going to be. That's what, it's what we do. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to buy into it. Because once I buy into it, it's going to change everything. And it absolutely will. But Thomas, Thomas, Jesus goes up to Thomas during his times of doubt and says, listen, see my hands, see my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Jesus answered him, my Lord and my God. When Mary saw Jesus, she responded by teacher. The disciples were overjoyed and realized that the Lord was back. And then there's Thomas saying, my Lord, my God, the highest exaltation ever. Man, we can learn so much from these encounters. Mary was in sorrow and pain and Jesus comes. And it all went away. The disciples were fearful. Jesus shows up. All of it went away. Thomas was doubtful. Jesus showed up and all that went away too. When we remember and reflect what Christ did for us, it's not that we don't have issues and questions and concerns of life, but it all seems very trivial at that point. It all seems very trivial. You know, doubts are always going to creep in in life, church. There's always going to be concerns. There's always going to be fears. always going to be big decisions we have to have. But remember what Christ did for us. You know, Thomas is called Doubting Thomas. I sometimes think Peter should have been more like Doubting Peter. Peter was the one who, if you remember, he stepped out into the water, and, and, and Jesus is out there, and, and he's walking on water. And then the storms come up, and he starts to sink. He starts to reflect on all the bad things going on in life, and he starts to go down. And the two things he knows, he's going down, he's going down but Jesus is staying up. And Jesus comes and reaches in, and he remembers who Jesus was. He remembers the power that's there. And all of a sudden, all the, he, he's walking on water again. It doesn't say that the, the waves stopped, or the storm stopped, but yet he's able to walk on water again. Why? Because he remembers what Christ did. And all of everything else just seems very trivial at that point. You know, I had a, it was one of those weeks where it was kind of a tough week. People say, do pastors have tough weeks? Yeah, we have tough weeks. Um, not every week, but we have tough weeks. I, uh, I'm one of those guys, I, I, whenever I can, I like to watch the news, try to keep up with the news. But if you watch the news enough, you get kind of down. Uh, there's some pretty tough stuff on the news lately. And I remember earlier in the week, it was just one thing after another. It was, it was talking about things. I saw something on the news about um, you know, bombings going on in the other parts of the world or, or shootings going on and how Christians might be being uh, attacked or targeted. I thought, oh, that's awful. Then right after that, there was news about our own country, about the issues with uh, homosexuality and, and drugs, uh, the, the problem with drugs. That was the next story right after that. Then there was some, there was some, uh, even some folks in the church that weren't happy about some things. And I thought, man, it was one thing after another. It was kind of down. I was really focusing on all those things going on in life. I thought, man, this is, this is a tough week. And the, it came from an unlikely, not an unlikely source. It came from... I was really encouraged by Pastor Jamie. Pastor Jamie came up to me, uh, came into my office and said, let's go to lunch. I said, eh, it's kind of a tough week. He goes, no, we're going to lunch. 
And it was really good because we got to lunch and the only thing we talked about was how great God is. We talked about what God's doing here at church. How wonderful things are and how, what he's doing for us. And I thought, you know what, all those, all those issues that were in the back of my mind just kind of went away. You know, we'll never... Some of us will say, you know, I'm not going to believe it until I touch the hands of Jesus or touch his side. Thomas never touched Jesus' hands or, or his side. It never says Thomas touched him. It just says Jesus showed him and Thomas believed. And the disciples were there and they were overfilled with joy. Isn't that a great picture of the church? The encouragement that can come through the storms of life. You know, Ephesians talks about the church as a body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fulfills all things everywhere with himself. When we get together in times of fellowship and worship, we encourage one another. We encourage one another. Why? Because we reflect on what Christ did. When we come to communion once a month, we remember what Christ did. We remember his death on the cross. We remember the resurrection. That's why coming to church, being part of one community is so huge. Why? Because when it says in the Bible, when two or three are gathered, what? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. We're, we're, we're there with him. Is he standing there physically right here asking us to touch his hands and nails? No, but we, he's with us today, looking each one of us in the face, saying, I know you by name. I know what you're going through. We might have fears. We might, have, we might be in sorrow. We might have fears. We might have doubts. But boy, Jesus is here. He shows up at the right time, the right place. Doesn't he? And we keep our eyes fixed on him and what he's done. And all of it just seems to Go away. Do you believe that this morning? Blessed are those that believe, and, or blessed are those that believe that have not yet seen, yet believe. As Libby comes to play and we prepare our hearts for communion, I leave you with where we started this series like eight weeks ago. We started with talking about the, the Lord's Supper. And not, I don't want to rehash the, the, the whole sermon, but in the Jewish in the Jewish tradition, there was always four cups of communion on the table, and you always drink one at the last, at the, to finish the meal. And it says in the scripture that Jesus was done, he says, I will not drink of this last cup till I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. It really shows a picture that, you know, it's not over. That communion that he started here is going to really be all the way up to heaven. And someday he's going to call us home. That's what he's asked us to do. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. For you, Mary. For you, John. For you, Christine. I go and prepare a place. And we're going to get there and he's going to say, welcome home. And we're going to forget all those things that we go through in life. It seems so trivial. And he's going to say, let's come to the communion table. Let's celebrate together. Welcome home. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word, Lord. I do pray that you be with maybe that one or two or three persons that's in here, Lord, that may have never called you Lord and Savior, that you're here with them this morning and they just never have called you Lord. Father, I pray that you impress upon them, convict their hearts to want to confess their sin and ask you to come into their life to be Lord and Savior. And Father, we do thank you that you come to us in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our fears in the midst of our doubts and pain and all that's going on remind us that you're here and that you've already paid the, the penalty lord and let us be able to celebrate that with you 
press that upon us as we come to the communion table, as we break the bread, remembering that your body broke for us and that your blood was shed for us on the cross. We thank you for today, and I ask this all in your name.